0: Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. Today we continue Season 5 with films made in the last decade. In today's episode we shall talk about the 2014 sci-fi drama Ex Machina. Written and directed by Alex Garland and starring Oscar Isaac, Dominic Gleeson and Alicia Vikander. So if you know who Alex Garland is, this film would certainly have piqued your interest. This is his first film, his debut. By trade, Alex Garland is known as an author. He famously wrote the novel The Beach with Danny Boyle, made into a film of Leonardo DiCaprio. And he must have got on with Danny Boyle because he then wrote Sunshine and the classic 28 Days Later too. So everyone knew who he was and was quite excited to see what kind of film he would try or do, visually speaking, of course, plot-wise as well, especially with a somewhat ominous title as Ex Machina. Now, Ex Machina derives from the Latin phrase *dors Ex Machina means literally... A god from the machines, and it's a phrase that originated in Greek tragedy performances, where the actor would be playing a, uh, they would be playing god basically, and they would come down on the machine from up above throughout the midway of the play or um, performance and solve the protagonist's problem, which usually would end in a happy ending for the play and for the characters as well. The title of the movie or phrase is actually only seen once throughout the entire film, and that's on Caleb's desktop computer right at the beginning of the movie. Other than that, it's never seen or mentioned in the film, simply serving as an ambiguous title for you as the audience to make assumptions or connections for later on in the film. Now, if you knew what it meant, um, then you'd see where the film is perhaps going with some twists and turns along the way. If you didn't know what it meant, then don't worry too much, because the film opens up with... What it's trying to do quite quickly, there's no messing around. There isn't that many characters to build up or get to know. We mainly focus on three characters throughout the whole movie, and that's that's the whole movie. And it's set in an isolated place, so you don't have to worry about different locations, which I think it was set in Norway, but I don't think the location is specified in the movie, nor really relevant. Just the idea of it being isolated is the key thing to take away here, which we understand from the dialogue right away, where Caleb asks, how long till we get to his estate? And the pilot answers, well, we've been flying over his estate for the last two hours. So there's clearly, you know, there's a question we already have from the get-go of how isolated this is and why it's so isolated. If you haven't seen X Machina um i'll quickly run through the generic plot of the movie but my assumptions are that you've seen it if you're listening to this podcast so early on we are opened up with caleb who is this young computer programmer hinted that he's quite good from his complexion his appearance and just general uh smart assumption based on the stereotypical computer tech guy and he seems quite introvert but isn't afraid to speak up and he works for the uh, the world's largest company in the world, the equivalent to Google, I guess. And he wins this contest to spend a week in the mountains with the CEO of the company where he has a home um, in this isolated place that we uh, I was talking about. And it's in the middle of nowhere surrounded by um, you know beautiful landscape, waterfalls, lakes, uh, just greenery. However, when Caleb arrives, who, by the way, is played by the amazing Dominic Gleason, he finds out there is he's there for another reason to take part in this ambiguous and yet intriguing experiment and in where he must come face to face with a true artificial intelligence, which is in the shape of a beautiful woman played by Alicia Vikander. Now, the CEO, uh, Nathan, played by the very stimulating Oscar Isaac, choosing to play his character as a cross between Bobby Fischer and Stanley Kubrick. The intensity and laid-backness of his character merges into a very elusive character. And the way Oscar plays it, it's not very hard to imagine that this guy is a genius, but also a very regular guy at the same time. The beard that he sports in this movie is most likely a nod to Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) Now, he's very welcoming and with open arms, but of course, not all is what it seems. He's practically the total opposite of what Caleb is. And with this backdrop of this eerie yet tranquil location of this natural environment, you know, the waterfalls, mountains surrounding this metallic silver building, which we learn isn't just a house, but a research centre, which when juxtaposed together seems quite futuristic and it gives this movie another edge to the relationships of the characters and the way they interact with each other. The AI... uh robot is called Ava and thus the movie unfolds in this relationship between all three characters and the themes of trust, ethics and more importantly the idea and how far we can stretch this idea of technology to it being real. Alex Garland said the movie is set in a world that is 10 minutes into the future meaning that people would be shocked to hear that Apple had released a functioning AI but at the same time it also wouldn't surprise them. And while I'm on the characters of the movie, notice how their names are all biblical, Nathan, Caleb, and Ava. Ava is a form of Eve, the first woman on Earth, which of course represents the first of her kind to be created. Ava, which I learned the other day, is also known to Ada, daughter of a romantic poet, Lord Byron, whose work with Charles Babbage and his analytical engine in the 1840s led to her recognition by many as the first computer programmer, which somewhat represents her character as being the first or main computer in this film. Nathan was a prophet on the court of David, and Caleb in the Bible was a spy sent by Moses to evaluate the Promised Land. And this sort of represents the Turin test that Nathan has selected him for in terms of evolving Nathan's creation to its final stage. The etymology is also quite revealing too. The name Ava comes from the word root K, which means alive or Kava, meaning to experience living. And the whole purpose of her desire is experience her experience to be human, to live, to feel. Nathan comes from the Hebrew word which which means gave. And this, of course, reflects the idea that he gave the world AI. He gave life to Ava. And Caleb has two meanings depending on which one you connote to, but it doesn't really matter because they share one similar trait, which is loyalty. Caleb actually means wholehearted or dog. His loyalty to Ava proves to be the mind of an ethical, correct man. Also, Kyoko um, means strength or security in Japanese, which also can you know have various meanings throughout the movie as she endures the negativity of Nathan and ends up being a part of uh, Ava's sort of freedom as well. Also, we later find out that Ava wasn't the first one to be made. It was, in fact, Lily, and the name is a reference to Lilith, who was the name of the first woman on Earth before Eve was made. Or in this movie, Ava was made, both names meaning or deriving from the biblical name and in the same order too. In Jewish folklore, actually, Lilith was Adam's wife, but she left him because she refused to serve him, and thus God created Eve, which if we catch on to these names and their origins, we start to paint a picture of Nathan's character and those around him. The movie really just focuses on these three characters in this remote location and the relationship between all three of them and the variations of the relationship between two of them. And we're not quite known of the intentions or authenticity of any of the relationships right away. But as the movie unfolds in this mundane yet captivating way, we are taken into this world of deception and morality. Caleb is asked early on does he know what the Turin test is which seems to be why he is here and thus knowing what it is makes the correct assumption and figuring out right away at the start why Nathan has actually asked him to this research facility or to spend a week with him. So the Turing Test, in case you're not familiar with it, which was originally named The Imitation Game, which you might have guessed if you've seen the Benedict Cumberpatch movie, but what it's designed to do is to determine whether the artificial intelligence can think or have the capability to think like a human being by asking a series of questions. In layman terms, can the computer think like a human? Even though we are told quite early on what it is Caleb is here to do, We are offered various clues beforehand in the opening 10 minutes, but only if you look closely at the sort of mise-en-scene of the movie. Like in the background when Caleb first meets Nathan for the first time, there's a green wheat growing in a pot. And that's a Slavic symbol for new life, maybe also indicating where they are in the world right now. However, that piece of information is not necessarily relevant. However, the nod at being outside of America or a country with the reputation of being technologi- technolog- technolog- technologically advanced gives us this impressive of, you know, the impression of things being kept a secret and also the idea of isolation too. These little clues are dotted around the movie, which acts as a double meaning. See, when films tend to do this on the offset, but also because Caleb's reason for being here seems quite you know highly convenient and quite also mysterious at the same time we don't fully know the whole story yet something seems to be off and the irony is we're assuming we have full transparency at the start with the reason of him being there being the Turing test which turns out to be correct but then the reason is hidden in layers and layers and somewhat more enigmatic I mean the, you know, the card that opens some doors and doesn't for others sort of foreshadows the whole reason of this thought process, something Caleb knows about his journey and others don't. It's the same principle of the audience. We're invited to know why we are here, and yet there seems to be secrets or backgrounds that may be relevant to us. Some we're invited to see and some we're invited to not, like Caleb's key card. He idealizes this man, and this idea of being, or, or this idea of AI being a reality You know, slightly typical nerd or computer geek fantasizing about time travel. This guy loves the idea of AI. But as we go deeper into the film, this nerdy fanboy persona starts to turn into something more uh, personal and in fact makes him more defensive rather than sugarcoating it for Nathan. And this is simply because of his sense and, you know, the sessions of intimidation, both from Nathan and from Ava. With each session, we are shown the number of sessions uh, Caleb has with Ava displayed on screen. And with the last one, at the end, session seven appears on the screen like it has done with the previous six interactions between Caleb and Ava. However, at the end, Nathan is dead at this point. So this film may be suggesting that Ava was the one testing both Nathan and Caleb rather than the other way around. Also notice at the end, she's only wearing white, the very overused symbolism of purity and innocence, which in a way is slightly ironic, since she manipulates her way out of isolation, and into this new world. So her very introduction of existence starts with something rather unethical, which conflicts us at, you know, as the audience. No matter how we feel about Ava before that, if she was a prisoner, or simply just a possession of audience uh, of, of Nathan, which by law she is. And in that essence, we, the audience, have to determine if she truly has consciousness by the Turing test that Calum did. However, we don't quite know the result of it. It's up to us now to decide. For pretty much all of the movie, the movie sets up Ava as quite mysterious and in a fashion, a prisoner, with the iconography of these key cards, alarms, and this place of complete isolation like Alcatraz or most uh, prisons in a deserted area. Caleb being the visiting guest coming along as he wants, but when we get to this interaction, these sessions... They are done invertedly, where Caleb seems to be the subject and Ava moving around in a much larger place where Caleb is in a little box. However, the the movement shows Ava pacing up and down despite the room like a tiger in a cage, as Alex Garland says, where Caleb is rather comfortable with this imagery. There is layers of layers to deduce and one could make the assumption that Ava is in fact not pacing but casing both Nathan and Caleb, which is sort of backed up by the Session 7 theory that the Sessions are in fact Ava's, not Nathan's. I mean, the true Turing test is possibly not for the deduction of Ava, but of Caleb and Nathan, and this is sort of foreshadowed right at the beginning of the movie where Caleb has realised he has won the contest and there is a POV of the camera on his phone which shows a pattern from his face, detective algorithm, which we see again at Nathan's secluded research center when Caleb cuts his arm. And we see another POV from the mirror, which is showing the exact same patterns. And speaking of patterns as well, this film bears a very similar plot pattern to that of The Tempest by William Shakespeare. I mean, the three main characters in this movie pretty much have traits of the three main characters in The Tempest. For for instance, uh, Nathan is a powerful manipulative inventor who lives in a remote resort, exactly like Prospero in The Tempest, who's a powerful magician who lives on a remote island who has manipulated events and characters for his liking. I mean, then you have Nathan, who's a computer programmer, and artificial intelligence pioneer, but he's not a magician. His parallel to Prospero, are not to sort of Arthur C. Clarke's famous dictum that any sufficient advanced technology is indistinguishably from magic, which is quite interesting. And of course, Ava is similar to Miranda in The Tempest, Prospero's daughter. Both Miranda and Ava were created by uh, Prospero or Nathan, and neither has been exposed to experiences or people outside of their respective confines. Now, Caleb is equivalent to Ferdinand in both the play and the movie. The Prospero character of the Nathan character contrives to bring Caleb or Fernando or uh, Fernand to his isolation and remote home. And in both cases, the character falls in love. ...with the Prospo character's daughter, or in this case, the AI in Ava. I mean, you can also draw parallels from this movie to Frankenstein. I mean, at one point, Nathan tells Caleb it's Promethean. Now, Prometheus was the Greek titan that stole fire from the gods and derived it to humanity... This incurred the wrath of the gods, for which he was chained to a rock and had his liver pecked out by an eagle every morning. I mean, Nathan also metaphorically stole something from the god, the gift of creation, and routinely punishes his own liver by drinking heavily most evenings. Kyoko and Ava subsequently finished the job at the end of the movie. I mean, the link from this Frankenstein, from this to Frankenstein is that the alternate title for Frankenstein, which many which Mary Shelley wrote, and many might not know this, but the original title for Frankenstein was The Modern Prometheus. And also the film conclude, the, the film's end in the conclusion further draws a stronger parallel to Mary Shelley's Neville, because the um the creator, like Frankenstein, is defeated by his own creation. And also Ava resembling herself from paths of her own synthetics, just like Frankenstein. So the movie is a very interesting one a movie wasn't as successful as many would imagine it was very it was distributed very lightly but nonetheless the film was critically acclaimed with the highest of honours with almost every review saying it was fantastic it was amazing it was a fantastic debut for Alex Garland the budget was only $15 million and it barely doubled that at the box office. It did however get two, uh, two nominations at the Oscars, one for Alex Garland for best screenplay and one for special effects, which that one specifically caused quite a stir because it ended up winning the Oscar for it. It was considerably an upset at the Academy as most predicted Star Wars or Force Awakens would win that award. And the unknown reason that it didn't any of the other three would have snuck it now if star wars didn't win it people would have guessed that the other three would have won it but X machina was the one they thought would not have won it now the other three was the martian the revenant and mad max but no one would have guessed X machina would have beaten all four to win the award it's the lowest grossing oscar-winning movie to win the best visual effects since 1998 which i think when dreams may come on that year many are guess. The reason why it may have won that award is because of the support of the acting wing of the Academy, given the performance-centric nature of the visual effects. So the visual effects exist with the acting, whereas the others emerge with the impact, simply a backdrop to the movie or an action sequence. So that's why people thought x Machina won that award. The film exists today as a masterpiece and a riveting debut for Alex Garland. It's truly a unique and modern unraveling of a story that challenges what it is to be human and the difference between mora- morally wrong and ethically wrong. Alicia Vikander basically made a name for herself in this movie and has gone on to play Lara Croft in Tomb Raider amongst winning an Oscar and The Danish Girl, so she was highly recognised as an up-and-coming gifted actor. She calls this movie her favourite of all of the ones she's done so far. It's weird because she's Swedish and Sweden never showed this film in cinemas. It's simply down to the distribution and the money, but turns out this jump-started her career and Sweden should be proud of this Swedish actor Alicia Vikander. So many links in this movie, like she's married to Michael Fassbender, and he's also played a robot in or an android in Prometheus, which is mentioned in the film, as I explained before. Um, if, I mean, if you want to play Six Degrees here, he's been in a film with um, Dominic Gleason called Frank, and also Oscar Isaac um, in X Men uh, Apocalypse. So. There's a connection there. Dominic Gleason and Oscar Isaac have starred together before in the Star Wars movie, which was conveniently the film that X-Machina beat at the special effects award. And interestingly enough, in that movie, the roles are reversed. Uh, Oscar Isaac is the protagonist and Dominic Gleason is the villain. Uh, also, Dominic Gleason has played a synthetic human in the Black Mirrors episode. Be right back. So it's an interesting thing to dig into there. I mean, yeah, there's links in all movies. I guess everyone's linked to everyone. And that's why the Six Degrees game is quite interesting. But the ending of the film further suggests the real reason behind the title of the movie. The Latin phrase is not ex machina, is dois ex machina, meaning that it's not about the creators, the humans who think they can control power. It's simply about the power of the unthinking process itself, a machine without a god. And this this is sort of confirmed by the ending of the movie. But look, that's all I have time for with X Machina. Truly a great piece of filmmaking with a debut director and one I believe is the benchmark in the sci-fi AI genre. So please subscribe to me on Google, iTunes and of course Spotify and I'm also on Instagram, Film Exploration, A-H, or lowercase, all one word. And thank you again for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.